continue on our scripture uh, sermon series on the kingdom of God as we look at Matthew 21, 28 through 44. It can be found on the back of your bulletin. Matthew 21, 28 through 44. What do you think, Jesus said? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him, and even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it, and dug a wine press in it, and built a tower, and leased it to tenants, and went to another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death, and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The word of the Lord. Well, we're going to talk about kingdoms today, but before we talk about the kingdom of God, I want to talk about another kingdom, the magic kingdom. <laughs> oh yes, that, myth that mythical, beautiful kingdom that we all go to at some point or another. It's kind of like the pilgrimage to, to the Hajj, uh, you know, if you're a Muslim, uh, if you're an American consumerist, you head down to Orlando or California to the magic kingdom. Uh, it's a beautiful place where all is well. And for $148 a day per ticket, you can enjoy the magic and mystery of the kingdom. In fact, you can be the king, can't you, of the magic kingdom? And for $148 a day, you better be the king, right? You know, when you think of Disney movies, whenever there is a kingdom, there's always a king, right? There's Aladdin with the king and the and the street boy who will end up being king. There's Beauty and the Beast, the evil king, the king who uh, becomes a beast because of his bad uh, attitude and actions. There's the Lion King, uh, the, the little cub Simba who just can't wait to be king. The only one I thought of that I couldn't remember there would be a king would be Flubber, that wonderful movie with Robin Williams. And in fact, nobody remembers Flubber, and with good reason, I might add. But we're not here to talk about the magic kingdom, we're here to talk about the kingdom of God. In every kingdom, every true kingdom, there is a king, is there not? 
In fact, that's why it's called the kingdom of God. It's God who is the king of the kingdom. You see, in Disney movies, the story is about the, redeem the redemption of the king. But in the Bible, and in the story of the kingdom of God, it's a story about redemption of the people. Because in Disney movies, people don't rebel against the king. But in the kingdom of God, they do. See, in Disney movies, the enemy is out there. But in the kingdom of God, the enemy is right here. Because the enemy is you and me. In the Disney movies of the Disney kingdom, the question is, will the king be a faithful king? Will he rule? Right. But in the kingdom of God, the question is, will the people be a faithful people? Will they respond to his rule? In the Disney movie, the kingdom, the king is on trial. But in the kingdom of God, we are on trial. See, we tend to do the Disney movie thing with the kingdom of God, where we look outside. But what the scripture and what pastors like me force us to do is to look at ourselves. Because how we respond to the true king reveals who is our true king. And so Jesus illustrates this in three different mini parables, three different illustrations that bring up three different aspects of the same question. We see in the beginning there is the story of the sons, and then there is the parable of the worker in the vineyards, and then finally the illustration of the builders. And so let us look at this story, and let us look at the question of the people. Will they be a faithful people? Because how you respond to the king determines who is your king. Let's begin with point number one, the sons. A little bit of background before Jesus tells this parable so we understand who he's talking to. In Matthew 21, this entire chapter that's finished up here, Jesus comes in to the temple. He is coming into Jerusalem. He will be crucified at the end of the week, so Holy Week is starting. Jesus drives out the money changers and basically goes ballistic in the temple. And he comes back into the temple the next day and is teaching right there, and the chief priests and the teachers come up to him, and they say, by what authority are you doing all this? In other words, who gave you the right and authority to do what you're doing? And so Jesus tells these parables in response to that particular question. What authority that the chief priests and teachers ask him about? And he says, what do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard. And this son was very honest. He didn't want to, so he said, no, I'm not going to do it. But later he changed his mind and he did do it. But there was a second son, right? And this one was a little bit different. He recognized that you can't just say that. But instead, he really said it not with his lips, but with his heart. He said, I will go. But he didn't ever go. Interesting about these two sons, isn't it? I don't know if you have different children. They have different makeups. But these two seem to be very, very diametrically opposed. They're opposites at the beginning and they're opposites at the end. And so Jesus asks the question, which of the two did the will of his father? Now, whenever Jesus asks a question, watch out for the left hook that's coming because he always comes at a different angle. It's a setup question, but they say, obviously, the first. 
Why? Because the first ended up doing the will of the Father. That was the question. And so Jesus says, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God before you. He's demonstrating who the two sons are, isn't he? The first son, this, excuse me, the second son who said, I will go, but never did, are the chief priests and the teachers. But the first son is the tax collector and the prostitutes. For John the Baptist came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, chief priests and teachers, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. See, the first thing that Jesus is communicating that's very important is that everybody is equal under God, which of course the chief priests and the teachers would reject. How can you say that I am equal to the tax collectors and the prostitutes? But they're both sons under God, aren't they? They both have the same status and they both have the same responsibility. And that is to listen and to obey. The father is the father. He's the one in authority. He's the one that brought them into this life. And he's the one who's over them and has the right to tell them what to do. And we know about God and his father, and we know that he's a good father. That he gives instructions and commands that are good for his children. But this first son said, forget about it. I'm not interested in your world, Dad. I want to have my own world. I want to do my own thing. And so I will not be a part of what you're trying, uh, what you want me to do. The second son, of course, did the exact opposite. Everything's right. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Right away. Right. I'll, how fast can I go? Right? And as soon as he's out of the, son, of the father's view, he goes in the ap absolute opposite direction. But God the Father and Jesus sees right through this veneer of righteousness. He looks to the heart, not simply the outward appearance. And so he says to the chief priests and teachers, for John came in the way of righteousness. In other words, if you remember John's baptism, it was really about two things. John's ministry was about repentance and recognition. John the Baptist came to say, someone is coming after me. He's the son of God. He's the savior of the world. He's the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so repent, repent of your wickedness, repent and receive the one who I am communicating, who I'm announcing is to come. And these particular, not all tax collectors and prostitutes, but some did hear the message and they changed, their hearts were cut to the core and they recognized and they received Jesus when he came. But when Jesus came, notice when it says, even when you saw it, Chief priests, uh, chief priests and teachers of the law. In other words, even when you saw me, he equates the kingdom of God with Jesus himself. Even when you saw me, you did not afterwards change your mind and believe it. See, the chief priests and the teachers of the law have a problem. And it's when they ask the question, by what authority, Jesus, are you doing these things? 
Jesus does not need to answer them. Jesus needs no external authority granted to him, for he is authority itself. There is no higher one to go to than Jesus Christ, the Son of God sent by the Father. <clears throat> and yet these chief priests and teachers have the temerity to say, let me see your credentials, let me see your papers. <clears throat> In essence, what they're saying is, we are over you. We are the authority, and you're coming into our world and stirring things up. Well, the vineyard is the world. And these chief priests and teachers of the law who are supposedly doing good things are ultimately doing them for themselves. See, the chief priests and the teachers of the law may be doing good things, at least it looks like, but they're doing them for themselves. The tax collectors and prostitutes are doing bad things for themselves. But it's the tax collectors and prostitutes that respond by beginning to do good things for God. Now, are the tax collectors and prostitutes going into the kingdom of God because they're doing good things? No. The good things they are doing are manifestations of them recognizing and responding. You see, it's their faith in Christ, their faith in the one who is the authority that saved them. All their actions are doing are their outward manifestations of their inward belief. Judge a tree by its fruit, right? Now this is a neat story about chief priests and teachers and tax collectors and prostitutes. But what about us? See, we're in these stories too, aren't we? And we're one of these particular groups. We're either the good guys doing things for ourselves, or the bad people doing bad things for ourselves. But ultimately, Jesus is asking the question, how are you to respond to me when I come into the world and assert my authority? And it's not a question, here's what I love about this story. It's not a question of how the tax collectors and the prostitutes live their life up to them. It's a question on how they responded now, not how they responded then. Because our salvation does not rest in our religious record, in our efforts, but it rests on the efforts of another. And so Jesus is saying, do you recognize who I am? Are you going to respond? Understanding that I am the king, that I am your father. Will you trust and obey me? Will you walk in my ways, into my world, producing fruit through my life? Well, Jesus continues with the second parable, the workers in the field. Here another parable. There was a master of a house. He planted a vineyard, he put a fence around it, he drug a, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower and leased it. And then he went into another country. Now this is obviously a very wealthy man, very astute business-wise. He took all of this time, he bought the land, he planted a vineyard, he protected it, 
By the way, the average vineyard doesn't really start producing fruit until like five or six years after you've started doing it. So he's already put a tremendous amount of time and effort and labor into this. He digs the wine press, builds a tower so you can actually watch over the land and protect it, and then leases it. And he off he goes. But before he does that, he leases it to some tenants. Now let me ask you a question. If you're a business person or you have an investment like this, what sort of tenants would you lease a property like this to? That you've spent all of this time and all of this money. You would probably choose people who you thought were going to be faithful in doing their work, right? Who would provide a return on investment. He's not doing this simply out of the goodness of his heart. He's expecting a return on investment. Now, we know that this story is about the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They're the ones that the Father has set up, if you will, in Israel. So what is this fruit, if you will, that they are to produce? He's not talking about grapes, is he? He's talking about the people that they are to teach, the people that they are to influence, the lives they are to live in such a way that it provides a harvest for God. He has put them in a privileged position and resourced them so that really all they have to do is be faithful. Well, when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get its fruit. Fair enough. And look what happens. Verse 35, the tenants took his servants and beat one. They killed another and they stoned yet another one. And he sent more servants than the first, and they did the same. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Here comes the setup question. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? You can almost hear the crowd as they get angry about this unjust treatment of the landowner and his son, right? They're ready to go stone those tenants themselves. Because do you know who they're thinking about? They're thinking about the Romans is who they're thinking about, right? Look at what the Romans have done. They're unjust in the way that they're treating us. God has remembered us and this unjust treatment, and he's going to come in, and he's going to set things right. They can resonate with that message, because it's a movie. It's a Disney movie, isn't it? And the enemy is out there. It's not in here. You know what this question reminds me of? It reminds me of an Old Testament uh, 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 section on King David and Bathsheba. Remember Nathan the prophet who walks in? David has had uh, has committed adultery with Bathsheba. He's had Bathsheba's husband killed. And he's sort of stuffed this down deep into his heart. And Nathan the prophet walks in and says, there was a man who had a little lamb. And all he had was one of them. And he loved it and cared for it and slept with it at night and watched over it. And there was another man. He was a rich man. He had everything he wanted. 
And he wanted to have a feast. So what did he do? He went and he took that little lamb and he slaughtered it. And what should be done to this person who did this thing? And you can hear David, right? As he lifts up his sword. Go find him and kill him. And Nathan said, that man is you. The people said, you will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give them their fruits in season, in their season. The reality is Jesus is speaking about the chief priests and the teachers, and he's also speaking about us. See, we always think it's about them, but it's about us too. See, we have a vineyard as well, don't we? It's our life. He gave it to us, and we have responsibilities in it to go to cultivate love, life, a knowledge of the Lord and how we live. Some of us have a big vineyard. Some of us have a small, but we all have responsibility. We all have leadership, and we all have the same call to show the glory of the Lord in our life. <clears throat> and we all testify who is the king by how we live. But much like the chief priests and the teachers of the law, much like the people, the parable, in this parable, we look at the fruit of our lives and we say, it's mine. You can't have it. I'm building my own kingdom. And we put ourselves in the center of the story instead of the king. And when, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Well, we know the answer. But what will Jesus do at the end of this week? Does Jesus come bringing a sword? He should. But no, at the end of this week, he will get up on a cross, and he will die the wretched death of a rebel. For the Son of Man did not come into the world to judge the world, but to save the world. It's the exact thing that he shouldn't do. And yet Jesus Christ has come into the world to stand in the dock of sinners like you and me. And to take the punishment that we deserve as we have all taken the vineyard for ourselves. And what report will he bring back to the father of those who believe in his message? That they have been faithful. That they have done right. That they have been righteous. See, Jesus bestows upon us his perfect life and his record of righteousness through his shed blood. Because Jesus Christ came to give us a new heart. See, here's the thing about the gospel, that really the story is about the king after all, isn't it? Do you recognize that this story is about you and me and him? How do you respond? Because how you respond to the king determines who is your king. 
Jesus Christ came for the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and anyone. There's only two types of people in the world. Those who are sinners and those who know they're sinners. Who are you? The promise in both of the gospel is that we can hear and believe and receive and turn our lives to orient them toward God and what he's doing and what he's done. Jesus finishes with this final statement. Jesus said to them, notice after he finished the parable, after they say, don't, don't kill that, those tenants. Don't put them to a wretched end. And Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Even as Jesus has laid bare the hearts of the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they will not repent. They will not turn. They're too proud. Nobody enters the kingdom of God except like a little child, like a broken sinner. And so he gives an illustration to them because they are the builders. They're the ones that are supposed to build the nation of Israel. But you can't build a nation and you can't build a life on anything else than a stone that will stand the test of time. And that's Jesus Christ. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. They and the crowd will be the ones shouting, crucify and crucify. But that rejection will ultimately not matter because he will be resurrected and he will become the capstone, the cornerstone, the only thing on which you can build your life. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. So what are we going to do? We are all builders. We build a family, we build a community, we build a life. What shall we build on? My efforts? for my kingdom or I'm going to build my life on by his grace on the resurrected life of Jesus Christ and whatever fruit comes out of that it's his that really is the fruit by the way in the end what is the work that we must do the people ask Jesus the work of God is this to believe in the one whom he sent well, two kingdoms, a magic kingdom in which I am the king and the kingdom of God in which he is the king. Two peoples. Will you rebel or will you receive? Because how you respond to the king determines who is your king. May we respond in humility. May we respond with a bowed knee may we respond with a joyful heart for christ has died christ is risen and christ will raise all with him who believe in him
and believe in him and wait for his coming. Let's pray. Say for your grace, Jesus, we would all fall away. We would all live miserable, self-absorbed lives, building a kingdom only for our enjoyment. But it is by your grace that you have won us over. For you came not to judge the world, but to save it. And we know that you will come again. Father, let our, us make our decision today to receive and rest on you alone. For you are worthy, and your salvation is enough for all of us. Pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.